We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halume. You are listening to Lore Keepers, a lore-building podcast where we talk about aeons of history, heroes and villains, and the legends they leave behind. I'm Frank. And I'm Cart. Damn it! <laughs> How did you... Uh, <clears throat> I'm Carter. <laughs> you fucking got me! How did you do that? I don't know, man. Uh, I... Uh, I was paging through my notes while you were doing that, and when I look up, you're... God damn it, I'm... And I'm Frank. And whether you're interested in stories, <laughs> looking for inspiration in your own world building, or perhaps you want a piece of the action, we've got something for you. This week, we're talking about Somnus. But first, Frank, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm gonna go see Godzilla King of the Monsters today for two dollars. Oh, that's a bargain. Yeah, it's well, I there's a theater nearby where I wait until things are off peak, essentially. But I still want the cinematic experience of some some, you know, I'm not going to wait to see a Marvel movie, but there is other stuff where I'd rather just wait and see it. than Detective Pikachu, for example, I'm pretty sure is showing right now. But yeah, um, no, it's I, I've heard very mixed reviews. I've heard people super disappointed because the larger message falls flat and then other people being like what did you expect it's a godzilla movie it's three hours <laughs> like of the most glorious cgi that you can imagine so i'm going with though that in mind is i'm not expecting some bigger story i just want to see you know i'm like a little kid with you know, two plastic dinosaurs and i just want to smash them together that's basically what i want to see but on a 400 million dollar budget sounds about right but aside from that i'm doing pretty good i'm Still trying to figure out my scheduling. Scheduling is a nightmare. I, oh, I don't know if I told you, I paid off the last of my student loans last week. Wow. Yeah. I put in the last huge check, and I am now officially debt-free. Which I feel like for our generation is almost as big of a deal as getting married. I mean, I'm not one to brag, Frank, but I'll tell you right now. I'm debt free. You're debt. You're debt free. I'm debt free. You're, well, besides, you're still like, in you know, school. Yeah. How? I'm getting paid to do it. Shit, dude. How did that happen? I got a scholarship. But like your your undergrad loans, you're, they're all covered. I didn't get any loans. Your undergrad was covered. Yes. Oh my god. That's amazing. I mean, if you're going to be a philosophy student, I guess that's pretty much that's that is kind of required. It could not have gone better. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm very lucky simply that um, Florida offers some pretty good scholarships for staying in state. 
Wow. And I managed to hit the hit the the minimums there. A lot of my college was covered, and uh, my parents picked up what little was left, and so I'm very thankful to them. I, I owe them a great deal. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It is so huge. I mean, there are people I know who don't even consider purchasing a house something that they can do in the future. I don't personally even know if I want to, but because of the fact that they have six figures in loans and they're going to spend years paying that off. That's a, that's really awesome, dude. I'm really happy for you. For me, it's been something where I think I started earnestly making it a financial focus about a year ago this time, sometime around my birthday. And I was just like, I, this is this is maybe the best present I can give to myself is just getting out from underneath this debt as quickly as possible. So basically every spare dollar I've had for the last several months has been fueled into this. And it feels amazing to know that every paycheck that I get from now is exclusively mine, minus all of the money that goes to the government. But, you know, that's just, you know, more stuff I don't have to do, which is great, like plowing roads or repairing roads. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, no, so I'm very happy about that, and that's, I've been, I've been riding yeah. on those good vibes for a little bit. I mean, that's, um, a big accomplishment. Yeah. I remember chatting with my, um, older brother, who, you know, he had to get, and just both, both of my older brothers had to get just massive amount of loans for law school and medical school. Oh, I'm not surprised at that. One of them is still living off those loans and is still getting paid, you know, he's got like, you know, over $500,000 in loans or whatever. Oh, my God. But he's in medical school, so he'll make it back. Right. Right. In medical school, you can actually make that back eventually. There are plenty of other... <laughs> my job, I'm not... I, I, I would say there's a corresponding amount of debt to, to making it back. But uh, when I think about... I, anyways, it's a great thing. It's an actualization. It's me actualizing a goal that I set about a year ago to do, which also feels really good. I don't know how many things in my life that I have attempted to accomplish over that long of a period of time or longer and stuck to it in such a way. So yeah, it feels yeah. good. But that's, that's enough awesome. about me, Carter. How are you doing? I am doing fairly well. Uh, I'm just about to start up another campaign, if you recall, the one where we all ended being eaten by plants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, uh, you, you have your character picked out. It's out you, you told me a little bit about it last week. Yeah, so I've just, you know, I've been writing a few backstories. Got anything really good to share with the people, the good people at home or um, at work or wherever the hell they are while they're listening to this? Nothing super original. The one I fleshed out the most is this um, monk noble that I was talking to you about before. Yeah, yeah. Carter rolled unbelievably high stats. For those of you who are familiar with 5e, he had like you had what stats in the 17s and 18s for half of your half of your scores yeah basically the lowest score i have is 13 <laughs> right and some people think that that makes for a boring character or a character that is overcompensating but carter and i know better yeah, because it just means you're mechanically powerful but you can still be a narrative <laughs> a shithead big drama drama <laughs> queen, yeah. yeah yeah so what did you end up deciding with were some of the weaknesses of your character? Oh, it's definitely her pride and her belief that she's better than so many other people. Because, in fact, she actually is, and that's maybe the worst part of a pride <laughs> is when it's actually founded. Yeah, like mentally and physically, she is superior to most people. 
Yes. It can be yeah, it can be corrupting because oftentimes whenever you have a social situation, you fail to understand why other people are valuable. And D&D is far more about cooperation than it is just about one person hammering good scores. Yeah, it's it's mostly about dunking healing potions in people's mouths when they go unconscious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if that same person who you you know you have a friend who's down and you can choose between dunking a potion in somebody's mouth to wake them back up or doing additional damage to the monster because you know you've been hitting them cleanly it's really hard to justify running over to them especially if your character wouldn't see it that way they would only be focused on the the monster exactly so it's gonna be a fun character and i've got some like cool thematic stuff about her monk you know use of like key and stuff i'll be like you know i've got her like wearing these special gloves that you know, like made of like a Kevlar material with like little inserts of metal. And... Oh, cool! That sounds awesome. And and then underneath that, she's got like crazy jeweled, enchanted tattoos, and that allow her mm. to channel her key better. And it's all this different thematic stuff. And I, I'm getting you know a blast, kind of planning it out. Frank, write this down. At some point, we are going to have to talk about magical tattoos. Yeah, magical tattoos are rad. I mean, I, the, you know, I was that first... deserves to be its own episode. I was taught. By Crick Roll, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had run into some supplemental material on the DMs Guild, I think. Maybe, oh, what was this? Maybe about 16 months ago, something like that. I was so inspired by it. It just was the coolest idea of magically imbuing tattoos and having, I think they even had a class... Somebody had built a class around getting different tattoos and where you could get them on your body. I think that that's a little constricting. I would just let my players do that for a fee, and it would give them a, a boon of some kind. Yeah, exactly. Like um, like the weird turtle guy. Yeah, yeah, in Critical Role, yeah. That's just such a cool idea, and just, you know, really clever way to introduce enhancing abilities through magical means, but not through items. Right. It's if you have spare money lying around, are you going to use it to buy an airship or are you going to use it to make your stats higher? Yeah, which, you know, both investments can be sound. Yeah. But someone can blow up your airship, but they, or actually they can also take away your stats, but those are much rarer. Much more rarer. <laughs> yeah. So we should, we should get into it though. We've been, we've been kind of rambling been for a little bit here. Fat. Yep. Yeah. Which as much as I love to do with you, Carter, we've got a podcast to do. Yes, we do. We were talk- what were we talking about again? Something about uh, sleeping? Yeah, well, this week we are going to be talking about somnus. As in, where the hell did I get that word from? I mean, it's got something a Latin to root. do with... Like insomnia. Yeah, the Latinate root. Yeah. 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 Somnus. Okay, so Carter knows this like is one... Somnambulate or... <laughs> no. I Sleepwalking, I... I think. Where should uh, Where should I start with this one? Carter knows that I'm... I'm going to be taking the reins for the first chunk here, breaking down some of the skeleton. I think I think a good way to start is what what is it? You are a very insightful one, and I am grateful that you're there to help ground me. Yeah, what is Somnus? Okay, so that's what we're talking about today. Uh, Somnus, we'll start with this, is a realm of reality. So this is something that we have referred to before in the past, probably many times, I'm sure, at, at the very least when we talked about elven dreaming and their trance state which i think it popped up in uh psionics as well uh, i'm sure it did and also when we talked about there was an entity that we discovered 
lived in Somnus and was influencing, how oh, was it a guild or something? Or no, sorcerers, having to do with sorcerers. Do you remember this? Is this like the crazy, like, mystic dude who lives in Somnus with all his followers. I believe so. Uh, there is... Oh, when was this? This was more recently. This was actually a pretty cool episode, I think. Yeah, and I had to, I had to take you away from Somnus because you really wanted to talk about it. Yeah, it's episode 46. We'll, we'll, we'll add all of those to the podcast description if you're curious, different references to Somnus or just different references we make. But anyways, Somnus is, in short, a plane of reality that your mind drifts away to when you're asleep. It came out of me looking to explain in D&D... The Vancean magic system. Yeah, yes, or our... our it's the Vancean part of our magic system, like, where it's inspired from. So there is something known as the Vancean magic, uh, magic system that D&D has a lot of... But it, it has it has a long legacy of of referencing because that was sort of where their idea of magic started from. It's a, it's a way of basically turning it into a me- game mechanic where you have to sleep, and once you sleep, then you restore your lost magic. So, in the world of Halime, what this looks like is basically. I mean, I think you should do the bottle cork analogy. That's a quite a good. Okay. One. Yeah. Yes. We'll start with that. Thank you. I, pre- I appreciate the. <laughs> I am grateful that you are here to help help me with this. So yeah, yeah so yeah, Carter uh, is talking about the he's talking about the bottle cork analogy, and what this is is essentially when I was initially developing how magic would work or how magic would uh, like return to the body as a sort of soul power source, S O U L power source. I was trying to understand why does it require a long rest? Why do you have to be asleep? And so what we decided on, or, or what I kind of discovered, was that by fusing the sense of the strangeness of dreams and the, the esoteric natures of the soul, you could get something kind of unique. Anyways, okay. So essentially, when a person in Halume falls asleep, their mind is like a cork inside of a bottle. So the soul being the bottle... And maybe even a better way of describing it is like your consciousness. Your the part of your brain that is consciously aware of the world around you is in the world of Halume, a mutable thing that is separate from the part of your brain that is subconsciously taking care of your body or handling your perceptions where you're not actually directing thought. You know, where you're not using the vector of your mind to pay attention to things. So when you fall asleep, those things become loosely detached as though by a thin thread uh, from the rest of your nature, your personhood, and they begin to drift away. And in the world of Halime, basically, they dissolve into a different space known as Somnus. And what this looks like is your subconscious and conscious separate, your subconscious spreads out and becomes a loose, almost filament, or almost like becomes the molecular structure that makes up somnus. And your consciousness remains, but becomes infinitely more 
precise and only able to sort of focus on one thing at a time, kind of describing how in a dream things sort of just happen and switch and change at all times. So the way that I, I describe this or, or to try and visualize it is imagine points of light being the consciousness traveling across an ever-shifting and changing landscape, being the collective subconscious of all knowing beings or all beings, I should say, maybe with a subconscious that exist within somnus at the time. So anytime that you're asleep, your mind breaks into these two halves. The subconscious spreads out and becomes a landscape that all and it becomes like completely mixed. Imagine like literally taking everybody's subconsciouses like different liquids that you're throwing into a bowl together and you're stirring that up. And then the consciousness wanders across that and oftentimes leans towards familiar things. So places you've been or ideas, if it recognizes something, then it shifts it. Basically what's happening is, is as your mind imagines a thing, it starts to shift and change it. So I definitely drew a lot of inspiration from Teleran Rahad, which is a concept from The Wheel of Time. Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. Yeah, excellent, excellent book. As opposed Seriously. to Brandon Sanderson's Wheel of Time? Well, no, it's just, let's call out the author. Brandon Sanderson also finished off the, the series, but right. it's good to... Man, it's that man, what an incredible series. I can't wait for them to eventually make an HBO-level tv show out of it i mean they should do for they should give it the game of thrones treatment i think that it would deserve it i feel like there's an incredible story there Hmm? what disappoint its fans with the ending wow i wouldn't know a thing about that honestly i've never seen game of thrones i know terrible world builder of me it's it's a beautiful world you should read the books i think i will eventually i just I'm particularly sensitive to some of the topics that they bring up, and it it makes me feel, I think, uncomfortable. I mean, yes, for one, but other things as well. Anyways, I don't really want to get into it right now, because we're not even talking about that. We're talking about Somnus. Okay. Anyways, um, so one of the the aspects, I was talking about the Teleran Rahad from Wheel of Time. One of the aspects I really appreciate about the way that they, that Robert Jordan imagines this dreamscape is that it shifts and changes with every moment that you're aware that you're in it. So there are rare people who are able to walk among the dream and and explore it and still remain conscious, like aware of themselves. It's kind of like lucid dreaming, but the magical version of that. If you're worried about me spoiling stuff, don't worry. This is just general concepts. This stuff exists, but it has nothing to do with the plot. I mean, it kind of, you know what I mean? It's not actually spoiling anything. It's just, it's premise. But, uh, and so in the same way, in the world of Halime, I, of course, you know, ever, ever the, ever the thief of other people's ideas, I said, oh, what would that look like in Halime? How do we have a similar concept? That's where the lucid come in. You know, the idea of people who are like dreamwalkers, they can... If you are lucid, I actually, I don't think it's even the lucid. It's just you are or you aren't lucid. If you are lucid, then you can walk across the dream. You can manipulate it. You can take control of the fabric of the subconscious. And it becomes a very powerful thing to do, especially because everything is constantly changing in the same way that your mind isn't really holding to one thing. 
it requires an intense amount of focus to be able to keep from having Somnus manipulate you as much as you manipulate it, and that becomes far more dangerous if you're actually there bodily, which a lucid can eventually accomplish. Anyway, so the thing is, is that's actually only half of the realm of Somnus. So Somnus is split distinctly between two spaces, and they're kind of linked to each other, and it's a little bit hard to imagine spatially, so just bear with me for a second. And this will be kind of like the last, I think, of the laying of the foundations of, the, of, of what it is. In the world of Somnus, or in the realm of Somnus, when you're... That, that subconscious landscape is sort of half the picture. Those points of light, the consciousness, if you imagine it almost as though there are two realms, and if you walked between one to the edge of the other... It'd be like, to your left, you'd see lands extend far out into the distance, things ever shifting on the skyline, or tree line, or whatever it is. To your right, you'd see a void. Not a void like the howling void, but a, a place where there is darkness, save for the longer you looked, as though out at a night sky, the twinkling of many, many lights, hundreds, thousands of lights, shifting outwards, and if you look among them, you will see natures, peoples. I've played with this concept a little bit, but essentially those are the consciousnesses, the points of light. They reside out there. And if you were to approach one, rush towards it, eventually it almost act like, this is weird, but a wormhole, where if you were to pass through it, then you'd see the light from the inside out and you would be back somewhere in the subconscious realm. It's sort of like an observer looking out and into the world of the subconscious half. Does that make sense, Carter? Uh, let's paint a picture. How about this? Uh, so we have two halves of Somnus. You have this sea of lights. To your, yeah, to your right is a sea of lights. You're staring equally half on both of them. To your left is... A plate of a world. Pretend, imagine just for this that it it sort of just drops, falls away from you, and you're on standing on the edge of the world. Okay, so we have maybe it's like um, looking at it. Maybe you're standing on a beach, mm -hmm. and to your left is this you know jungle of ideas and you know other Somnian things representing mm -hmm. this you know crazy dreamscape. Mm -hmm. And then to your right is the sea of lights, mm -hmm. ever twinkling. Yeah, and maybe maybe a way of putting it is, <laughs> you could, if this helps to imagine it this way, you could imagine seeing little things bobbing upright in the water out in the sea. And if you're curious of what they are, they're all brightly colored. You go over to them, and they're doors. And they're just sort of on a piece of torn away ground you know standing upright and monsters inc-esque style you open that door and you find yourself back on the shore in that jungle but somewhere deep inside somewhere among all of the life and insanity that's going on there okay is that maybe a way does that does that help in the same way you can also then if you're in that place in that jungle if you find a person's consciousness, like diving straight through the center of a person's eye, 
you would enter the world would kind of bow back away from you and then you would be out among the other doors in the sea again. Okay. Anyways. So, that's that's the general gist. The last thing worth mentioning here about the realms of of or the nature of Somnus and and how it relates to the rest of the world is as well all of this happen is happening and you're dreaming and your your mind is like un you know uncorked away from the world your soul is filling up with the energies of the nine flow reinvigorating you for the next day if at any time somebody was to snap you back awake it's like the cork being sucked back into the bottle and you wake up with however much soul energy there's uh, that is restored within you but there's like a watermark for where it kind of needs to get to for you to actually feel fully awake so if you don't actually get a, a solid night's sleep, then you can't actually access any of that energy. Yes, makes sense. Okay, so kind of a long explanation, but I feel like that gathers up all of the bones and sort of assembles them in a way that is a little bit understandable. What, where do you think we should go from there? Like, what are some questions that you might have or images that spring to mind, thoughts that you'd like to explore? Okay, let's talk about, so some people, right, when you open their doors, does it, does it always take you to this kind of crazy jungle, disorderly and, you know, kind of random? Or is it sometimes you open the door and you're in like a nice tidy shack in the jungle? Yeah, well, I don't think everything opens directly into chaos. I'm not saying that everybody's dreams are just a complete madness because we do have times of coherence, but this is when we sleep. But this is part of what I'm curious to explore with Somnus is how much do we want to, to behave the way that dreams and the, dream, the human mind when it's asleep actually looks like when it dreams, as like the MRI scan, if you will, versus the sensation of dreaming, the things that are evoked in us when we dream. For instance, we dream almost constantly throughout the night. Even yes. if you don't remember your dreams, you are constantly dreaming. You just forget them. I've heard it said that I think sometimes during REM, we can be having up to seven dreams in a second or something, seven distinct beginning and ends like your mind is just rifling through concepts. But we're not aware of any of that. So like, yeah. do we want it? Do we, we have choices here. Do we want Somnus to bend more towards the reality of dreams and explore the strangeness of how our brains actually work? Or do we want to evoke the strange and sort of beautiful sensibilities of dreaming where it's more drawn out, it's more like a play that you're playing out. If you were actually there, the time scale would be closer to minutes or hours instead of seconds. I think it's the latter, because I feel like otherwise it'd be almost too chaotic. Yeah, yes. And I think when you're in the, you know, maybe it does actually work like the former, right? Where you have one, you know, seven dreams in one second or whatever. But when you're there, you know, each dream... Is like like you're saying a play. It's its own thing that lasts what seems like a long time, or in reality, in the material realm, it doesn't at all. So then, being hmm, okay, being trapped inside of the, uh, the dreamscape, if you were lucid and you were able to enter that bodily, would be incredibly dangerous. To be Inception level, like the yes. movie, 
you know, surviving a night could feel like you survived a month or a, maybe even significantly longer than that. Yes, I like that. I mean, that's another cultural touchstone. Should we pull from Inception at all? Is there a level where we could take some of the things that were delightfully creative about Inception and play with those as concepts to also bring into this idea of, of Somnus? Um, dreams within dreams or the way I mean, that the subconscious becomes dream. aware and will try and root out the consciousness? I think, um, let, let's get, use an example here. There is a fifth level spell from D 5th edition Dungeon Dragons called Dream. Okay. What does it do? I don't actually know I, this one. I'll read the description to you. This spell shapes a creature's dreams. Choose a creature known to you as the target of the spell. The target must be on the same plane of existence as you creatures that don't sleep, such as elves, can't be contacted by the spell. So we should definitely touch on how elves work. But you or a willing creature you touch enters a trance state acting as a messenger. While in the trance, the messenger is aware of his or her surroundings, but can't take actions or moves. If the target is asleep, the messenger appears in the target's dreams and can converse with the target as long as it remains asleep through the duration of the spell. The messenger can also shape the environment of the dream, creating landscapes, objects, and other mm. images. The messenger can emerge from the trance at any time, ending the effect of the spell early. The target recalls the dream perfectly upon waking. If the target is awake when you cast a spell, the messenger knows it and can either end the trance or wait for the target to fall asleep, blah, blah, blah. Right. Interesting. Okay. I definitely want to explore how people use Somnus and the impact that it has in the world of Halume. But another thing, another thought at least, is that I don't know, I didn't strictly grab the idea of everyone's subconsciouses melting into each other and becoming the landscape that people experience or explore reality on as something... I, I didn't necessarily grab that from a different work uh, yeah. of literature or something. And so, at the very least, I want us to make sure that we affix at least that as something that is distinctly Halumian and, and keep that kind of in mind when we talk about all of this. So, what, uh, where, what was... Where were you thinking of going with the uh, with the with the spell there? I wanted to talk about how uh, people who have uh, magical powers or have you know powerful wills can shape songs mm. and how that can affect the people dreaming. Uh, and basically, I want to look at the effects people can have on Somnus and how Somnus can affect people. Okay. Yeah. I mean. Hmm. Maybe we could take big pot of soup that we're brewing with everyone's subconsciousness to make the landscape of Somnus as kind of like paint. Uh, it smudges okay. itself around like a weird slime, <laughs> but you can okay. take a paintbrush and paint it however you like if you have the power. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like that. I, I, okay, okay. I mean, yeah, the implications of this are for those who are lucid, or in some other way are able to control the dreamscape, the implications of how powerful that is are very significant. A couple of things off the top of my head. Cultures are one of the best ways of influencing people's knowledge and, our un and their understanding of knowledge. So being able to largely focus on different groups of beings and insinuate or give them all visions or trepidations of something to come would could be used as either a strength or an ill it could be something that 
governments would seek to use to attempt to get a uh, like a handle on discourse of a concept if everybody is having these bad dreams the night before a new person comes into power it could greatly weaken their sureness of this person especially if it's you know we are far more influenced by our own interpretation of the world than we realize it is very very difficult to remain objective of the world that we perceive around us because emotion is a lot more influencing than we think. Our exposure to the world is a lot more influencing than we think. We only talk about and reference to things that we know because we can only really refer to things by the context for which we have for them. So I imagine that this would be something that could be used as almost a, a what do they call that? Like a doublespeak tool? I mean, that would be like one use of it. It could also be a way for people to communicate long distances over the dream if you don't want to use the empath network. Which, man, I don't think we've even talked about that, have we? No. Okay, racial tide pools, man. We got, we'll got. we have to get into those at some point. I always thought of Somnus as a kind of um, knowing tide pool, where all the knowing have their foot in it. Yeah. Well, and also, because it is, but it's. I think it's even broader than, well, this is something we should answer. Is it something that the Riven or other races would also enter into? Because, yes, it's not that if they are conscious and subconscious, you know, th th that their mind departing and fleeing from the rest of their body during the night isn't necessarily going to give them magical powers because they don't have a soul to fill. But I think that the cork still remains, especially because of at least we know of some of the ways that the Riven have been created have to do with more burning something out of somebody or cracking the, cracking you know, breaking, the breaking the vessel. But that mm -hmm. doesn't say anything about the cork. We actually know for sure that... They're still minded. Yes, they have a mind even if they don't have a soul. And so, like, a good example is the Duragar are uh, renowned for the, the strength of their psionics. They have very, very powerful mystics who are able to do mental powers, which if you're curious as to what we're talking about, just check the episode description. This comes from an uh, episode a couple weeks ago. And so that's definitely something else we want to talk about at some point is the relationship between psionics and somnus. I would imagine that there are indeed Riven who also can travel to somnus. Or if not, why, is maybe my question. Is there something that they lack in ability or they go to a different place? I think they go to Somnus, but here, let's, let's use the elves as an example. Elves don't go to Somnus because they don't sleep. Right. They have a trance. Yeah, but they still go somewhere, right? We still have this idea of the... the um, Avaril? The Avaril, yes. Yes. I've always kind of viewed it as almost a quasi-realm, like pocket, pocket realm, if you will. It almost... I mean, it could be almost as though those assist on Somnus, a separate thing that is still technically part of the whole, or it's something entirely different, a small bubble in reality where the mind of the elf travels to. I think that it's, um, I think it's a part of Somnus, but it's like, um, if you have, let's use liquids as another analogy, you have, you know, water then like a thin layer of like olive oil on top and they don't mix mm -hmm. and then you have 
like a nice like meringue. Okay. Um, which I'm is curious to see where you're going with this. Yeah, and um, basically, this oil barrier, the water will never interact unless you know forcibly stirred. Sorry, I missed the part where the meringue came in. Uh, the meringue represents the Avril. Because it's a mixture? I mean, just because I wanted... I was, thinking, I was going to think of another liquid, but I'm like, let's go with the meringue. It's, it's okay. fluffy and nice. Gotcha. Yeah, it's not entirely fluid in the same way that other liquids are fluid. Yeah, it's fluffy, nice, and it's not really a liquid. It's weird. It's different. Yeah. Well, I was going to even say, I wonder if there's a different metaphor than the cork bottle metaphor. There might be a different way to explain the, the way that an elf is because an elf, I think, is still dimly aware of the reality around them. Like, they still, I'm sure, have disadvantage on perception checks, but I've always pictured it as being in two places at once. Let me quickly look up the elf stuff. Race, elf, high. Let's just go for that. Oh, looking up specifically how it describes a trance? Yeah. Elves don't need to sleep. Instead, they meditate deeply, remaining semi-conscious for four hours a day. Right. Yes. Okay. If you meditate during a long rest, you finish the rest after four hours. You otherwise obey all rules for a long rest. So yeah, it's the same rules. It's just for four hours, according to the, the PHB for 5e. Yeah, I, the way I see it is they don't like lose themselves in Somnus. Instead, they find themselves in a more controlled area where they're witnessing the Avaro, witnessing past, and they have a more active role. Because they still are themselves more so than a dreamer in Somnus would be. Because it's right. less deep. Yes. Like, and you know, semi-conscious. So I think we've actually done an episode about the Avril. Uh, in essence, which it'll be in the podcast description as well. In essence, what is happening is elves are re-encountering the legends and lore of the elven race. So... I think you basically need to be full-blooded, and the closer the, the literal blood tie to an elf, the better. So you're going to see family stuff more. But the great figures, the heroes and villains of the elven race stand very strongly in that place. And so you'll encounter those same heroes and villains and recount those stories. As a result, the elves don't actually have a lot of written history about themselves yes they don't ex they don't bother to explain a lot of that because any child who spends any amount of time dreaming at night you know the first or second night of this happening will ask questions to the parent the parent will explain what's going on and even if they don't eventually i'm sure somebody in the avaril would explain what's going on and then they just experience the lore of their of their kin yeah, and they, they more likely have, you know, like mystics and whoever who, you know, are experts in understanding the the great dream and then, you know, can properly understand certain, you know, scenes that appear and what that portend, you know, the portents of those scenes. But right. more specifically to what we're talking about here, I want to say that this is a distinct realm that requires a lot of power, quote unquote, just, you know amorphous power stuff because it could be magic it could be silence whatever to the avaril pierce into if you're not an elf yes the avaril oh okay i see what you're saying so like, you're thinking you can that do you it. could literally that's cool i had never really considered that i had assumed that it was sort of just gated off to elves but i imagine with enough effort just about anything can be accomplished with magic so yeah that's 
That's interesting. Yeah, but elves see this as like very bad. You don't do that. And it's very weird. Like when you see someone who's not meant to be there, right? Because a lot of times these scenes, you'll have seen this before. It's extremely troubling. Yeah, exactly. It, it, the, the portents of what it suggests could never be good. They're only it's like having a stick alarming. figure in like a Monet. You're like, what is this doing? Yeah, what the fuck just... Why is there... Why is there cubism in my Van Gogh? Yeah. Like, where the hell did this come from? There's just like this scrawly little shit going on. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I think it creates probably that level of alarm with people too. You can try and be really subtle, but I imagine it'd be hard to go a night without touching at least several people's dreams. Just hope that they have very little influence and that they or that they will their thoughts will be dismissed if they are alarmed by seeing you there. But we should get back to some of the other ways that people can manipulate Somnus. We, and we didn't touch on the Riven. I want to use this as a foil for the Riven. Oh, OK, sure. So it's like we already have a precedent for weird realms and Somnus that are separate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like gates or filtered in order to get past some sort of barrier, you have to have a certain intent and will and stuff. Are you thinking, are you imagining that maybe the Riven are quartered off this way? I'm thinking the Riven are quartered off in a slightly less hard barrier. Mm-hmm. I imagine the Riven are kind of like, um, they're deeper because they're um, minded and subconscious, or, you know, urges are more primal. They're more animalistic. Yeah. So I think okay. they're like, you have to go deeper down. You have to do a bit of digging. And then you hit like this like wellspring of anger and hatred. And you're like, yep, found it. Yeah. I think, well, and it wouldn't necessarily just be anger or hatred. It's just more impulse. Thought without morality. Judge, you know, no, there is no judgment within their own mind as to to actions they simply are or they are not yeah, because you know, they they hold up the age. death of a hundred as as a dream in the same light that they do going to the grocery store yeah the riven are unique in a way because they possess a mind without possessing reason you know rational rationality yes yeah yeah without revealing too much I recently came across a passage in the 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 Fifth Chivalry, the Farseer trilogy by Robin Hobb that I believe is in the first book. Basically, anything that describes the Forged is an incredibly good reference point for the Riven. I won't spoil anything, but when I saw it, I was like, that's almost exactly what I've been picturing in my head. Is that what you sent to me? Yes, that was the thing that I sent to you. Yes. Yeah. It was very good. So... I'm, it's probably pretty obscure. I don't think, I don't think there's a huge, you know, it, there's probably a lot of people who have read those books, but it's not something there's necessarily a culture around. But if yeah. you know what I'm talking about, then you know what I'm talking about. So anyways, but yeah, I agree with this. I think, I think it makes me imagine almost that there's this forging deeper and deeper into Somnus. Maybe it's, it's less like in Inception where there's a dream within a dream, which is cool, but also I don't think that's really a thing thing maybe maybe people have dreams within their dreams but i don't think that that's really how stuff works um but there is something cool in idea of the deeper you travel into the dreams the more subconsciously primal maybe things become like there's a weightedness towards 
civility and ideas of society and things as though if you were to melt down all the components of a person's subconscious, the place where we conceptualize and make sense of things like, oh, this is good. This is starting to get, uh, this is actually, I think, starting to help me imagine somnus better. Because our subconscious isn't just all things and we only think about things in one way, which is just stuff, right? Stuff, the idea of stuff is only one part of our subconscious. We also have things like, I mean, it, it makes me think of the movie Inside Out by Pixar, right? Like there's a, oh, what's that? Abstraction, you know, the ability to 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 take an idea and break it down into the sum of its parts or imagine it as though it was a sum of parts is a thing that we can do with our minds. We abstract things. Yeah, like, oh, there's a great thing with, um, I think it was um, John Locke who was like, look, you have the, the idea of a mountain and the idea of gold. You can put those together and then make the idea of a golden mountain without ever seeing a mountain that was literally made of gold. Right. Yeah. And so like we, th and I'm not, because previously I think I was thinking of it as there's gold and there's mountain and you're going to encounter both in Somnus. Now I'm seeing it more as the process of making a golden mountain is in and itself something that would become the landscape or in, in Somnus. So you would find a place in this geography or somnography, whatever, that you would find that process happening a lot and would dominate the landscape. The idea of things shifting or being dominated by things that are whatever that, that process is called, but that combination, I'll just call it transfusion because I know nothing about the way that the brain actually works. But, uh, you know, like that <laughs> transfusion of ideas could be its own, like, transfusia where you know that that process is happening all the time similarly abstraction would be this it could almost be like this blank white expanse that's perfectly flat and there's just geometric shapes that are consistently breaking down and you can walk among them and feel their shadow and you could find other things out there and then there would be yet other still places that so I imagine the riven is like reaching a point where you're the, the woods start to darken and there's, you know, sort of a, a stranger pallor to things. Uh, maybe things are stripped of color or, you know, and so like picturing the way that they think differently. And so in the same way, even within that larger geography that the, the riven would dominate, there would probably be smaller realms of greater familiarity. So I would imagine the drow, they all think very, you know, they have the same, you know, genetic makeup as each other. And so the way that their brains would work would be different than the way that the Duragar would work or that the orcs would work. I think even the orcs would have a place here, although I'm sure that that's just crazy chaos. It's probably just essentially just a constant battlefield of roiling energy. But yep. like, it's a mix the, between a giant battlefield and a, and a massive orgy. <laughs> yeah, essentially. It's like uh, it's like that scene from the second Matrix movie. It's just like a bunch of people dancing in a cave. And <laughs> that's the orcs. God, fucking the Matrix. Uh, great, stupid-ass, wonderful movies. Anyways, so so I think that there would almost be these cultural markers, you could say, or mental process markers where the way that Duragars think the Duragar think, the dark dwarves think <laughs> our somnus is segregated. 
not segregated maybe, but biased would maybe be another way of putting it. There are, imagine you had a flat fabric and each one of these people, you're sort of looking down over this fabric, each of these different groups of people or similitudes in the way that they think. Maybe they're separate races, but they all agree on different things. You would find as rods that a person was like gently pushing up the fabric of this I mean, pushing up this linen. And as you looked across it, you could see the points where there's the valleys below and then the stretches to new uh, new points. The points are like concentrations of the similitude of thought. So elves are going to have typically a different way of thinking about things than gnomes are. And so the places... Those are a bad example. <laughs> oh, wait, yes, right. Not elves. Maybe, dwarves. yeah, dwarves. They're going to be more plodding, methodical, because that's... I mean, maybe it's not actually the dwarven mind. Maybe it's the mind affected by certain flows of the nine flow. But whatever it is, the thing dominating that, the, the you know, nature v. nurture there, is going to be like a peak, where a person who spends a lot of their time abstracting is going to have... They're going to be more magnetized towards traveling to that point. They're also going to have more influence over that space than they are in other realms for when their mind, you know, occasionally dream wanders out to those other places. So I've got a question for you, Frank. Yeah. If I were to take a nap under a tree in the lovely groves of the Twillet Lodge in the Fae, in, sorry, in the, uh, Illuvium? What? The Illuvium? That's the one. In, In the Illuvium. Would I visit a different Somnus? Ugh. So what you're asking is, is is this a tone realm? Yes. Or a contour realm? Which is terminology we just created, like, today, to describe the way that we think of Skyris as not being a separate realm of reality, but more an overlay that you place on top, a hue, a tint, that you place on top of reality to interpret it. Um... This is a great question. Do elementals dream? I don't think that... Well, I don't think they would. Because they they don't have minds in the same way. I think they have thinking processes, but they don't have like a brain with a conscious and a subconscious. They have impulse. Do angels dream? Wow, that is esoteric as hell. Do angels dream? Yeah, that's a weird one. Do devils dream? I'm more thinking about like, what are the dreams of trees? Well, dreams, I mean, trees I don't think have brains. But these are like super trees in the, in the alluvium. Hmm. Yeah, these crazy trees definitely have brains. I mean, a lot of this just draws on the, the nature of the brain itself. I mean, you know, where does consciousness come from? I think where I'm currently at, and Carter, you tell me what current thought is or what some of the different thoughts are on this. I mean, the reason why I say all of this is because the implications of do trees dream and then do animals dream? And I think probably on some level they think they dream. What allows a brain or a a being to be capable of dreaming? And I would imagine it is some level of consciousness. If that's the case, then when does something begin to be conscious? And I think it's... Where I'm currently at is it's it's basically like numeration of synapses. Like if you have basically enough connections together and uh, the ability to have sensorial material working with itself, 
eventually you start to have, you know, you sort of rise and kind of ascend the slopes of consciousness. So I got a good, I got a good one for you. So you know how a single ant is just kind of stupid, right? Yeah, I mean it's pretty, it's it's pretty much just an appendage of the of the hive, right? Exactly. Or of the nest. So the hive mind of ants is that conscious? I mean, I've heard people arg- make an argument that the internet is conscious because it is simply a, just a number of electrical synapses all connected together. Each uh, each connection point a node in a much larger brain. Yeah, we don't need to talk about the internet. <laughs> But my question is... Like, that, look, yes, I, that's my... Sorry, that's my way of addressing... I would imagine that you could argue that the hive was conscious on some level, okay. but the individual queen was not. So... The queen being sort of... Do we have ant somnus? I think we... Mm, I mean... Yeah, okay. So are the animals that people encounter in somnus, are they the refraction of a person's imagination of what an animal would be. Oh, that's a deer. This is, I'm seeing a deer here. My subconscious is frothing forth the idea of deer. Or is it an animal? I think it's more a person. I think it's Do we want to separate? I mean, sorry, I think it's more like a person's imagination of what a deer is. Yes, I agree. Because it is the semblance of what subconscious is. So do we have a different like is there something different about the knowing or about minded beings that makes some separate i think they just make a bigger splash but like if you go deep enough past even the riven you'll see like those strange dreams of ants yeah okay yeah yeah like it's that's cool okay yeah Yes, they're... It's like once you go a, that far in, unless you've, you're, some, you're a some real powerful dude, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, I'm kind of imagining the way that people, that cosmologists within Halomay, sages, talk about Somnus is in, like, livable disks, if you will. In the center, there is a plate that you can walk within, you can walk across, that contains the myriad different processes that a knowing being has of internalizing or externalizing the world, making sense of it. Step out into the first ring outside of that, the first disc, and you start to push the edges. You start to see things like the riven, and maybe abstraction is out there, you know, or, you know, the things that are on the furrowed edge of, like, you know, the twilight realm of what we feel like we can conceive. You step further out from there and you start to get into the even more primal, you know, it's like unraveling the layers of the brain. It's sort of inside out because we kind of have a mammalian brain on top of a reptilian brain, right? We've got a reptilian brain almost inside of our mammalian one. Uh, I think it's probably more like uh, the reptilian brain is just very simple. So it's a good analogy for simple processes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't know enough about neuroscience to say what's actually going on there. I just know that it's been described, at least conceptually, like the way that we process information is mammalia and humanity even above that was something that was encasing or stepping out like pearl layers on top of the core reptilia. Like we never really lost that as being our point of origin. So the things that are the most 
id to us, our like sexual drive, our, you know, sense of food and hunger and thirst and stuff. That's actually all coming from the reptilian brain. But you're probably right. I don't think yeah. it's literally, it's not, not li- like it's there's not a literally. tiny brain that your the rest of your brain is literally on top of. Yeah, it's not that. That's ridiculous. But I think we should make a definitive answer to is somnus uh, tone, a contouring realm? Or right. Or is it its own unique dimension? Hmm. I like, say, I'm thinking I say pretty hard about this, honestly. I think it's contouring simply because otherwise all the bad stuff from Orconus would be there. So there's like a separate somnus for the Illuvium that does make things more difficult to perceive. I mean, I guess, does that, I mean, I guess the same would be exist in Skyris then. So, I mean, like the difference that is, is that... magic we... work differently in the Illuvium? Isn't it stranger? <sighs> Less predictable. Wouldn't dreams be the same way? More vivid? Less distinguishable from reality? You know what? I think I think it is a contour. But I think that we might need to reinterpret the way that we understand contours. I mean, we only just birthed this idea this morning. Very, you know, congratulations, by the way. That's a beautiful, bouncing baby idea. I think that... Because I'm picturing it this way. Travel far enough in somnus and you can eventually reach the dreams of the Fae, of centaurs I I and think satyrs. And I don't think they're super, they're not uh, hard-barriered, but it's like, you know... Yeah. It's very difficult. But, like, you need to travel the wastes of the primal dreams of animals, I think, first before you reached it. You know, it's, it's almost like descending, again, as though that picture of the, like, the linen and the, the rods pushing up through it as though that itself was the peak of one mountain, and in order to reach all of the strangeness of the Fae, you would have to descend through the valley of primal thought before reaching again the chaos of Illuvic thought. Yeah, but if you are in Illuvium, you're, str- you're straight away there. Yeah, yes, and I think that uh, there's like a sense of that which is around you strongly influences what you see or encounter in the insomnus in the same way that in real life our cares and worries of the day are the things that most likely stand out fresh in our mind as the subjects of our dreams i don't spend a lot of time imagining myself in china or you know mozambique or something i don't know if i've ever had a dream where i've been there because that's just not my context And so I think that, yeah, I think it's similar. And so the reason why I say all that is because I think then Locus 2 might be considered a contour. Locus being the halfway point between a lot of realms is almost like a way way of intruding on other realities by stepping through it. And it's also the, the medium through which magic flows. And Skyris, similarly, as a contour, I might need to reinterpret that. I don't think there's a separate Skyris for the Alluvium, but I do agree with you i think it's like traversing a great distance to be able to see people like that yeah, it is separated but not separate as in completely different right it's the same place it's just the difference between going from earth to the moon yeah yes like yes that. it's a continent away it's like an entire continent of nature away that to reach there from 
starting in one place in Somnus would take far more than one night's worth of travel would carry you. You'd have to fly across the ocean of primal desire, or you'd have to get a big boat. Okay, fly across the ocean of primal desire. That's an album. My right favorite there. Earth, Wind, and Fire album. Yeah, it's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Um, damn, that's, that's a great, that's a great assembly of words right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we should probably start rounding out here, but I, I agree with you. And I really like this as a development in the way, because it's, it's interesting because Skyris to me, I initially imagine is literally like, close your eyes, send out your mind in every direction. And the presence of other people's minds are like blips that light up, not a literal visual light but like a a light in the mine. And that's really cool because then what that means is if you were able to travel far enough in that, the implications are eventually you would you would be able to travel almost past the three-dimensional overlay. Like if you were able to condition your mind to think differently about it and expose it to fourth fourth-dimensional space-esque thinking then you could send your mind to different realms so, in almost maybe in the same way that astral like astral projection works. Ooh, Frank, I've got a good one for you. Oh, well, yeah, this yeah. Is a good way to, uh, so this might be a good end point before, uh -huh. so, to start the wrap up. Yeah, I think we ready? should start the wrap up. So, yeah, if you've got something, let's do it. All right. Uh, if you could go far enough to the very fringes of Somnus, would you find the Howling Void creeping in? Shit. Dun, 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 dun. Whoa. I mean, that's a really great, great question. Is there a... I don't think we need to answer it. No, no, I'm not, I'm not planning on answering it, but I'm just kind of pondering it out loud. Like, is there a corporealness to the mindfulness of angels and other beings as such? So when the Nameless One was pushed out into the howling void did they retain a mindfulness or is that something else i think it might be closer to mindfulness than anything i think it's i think the nameless one is minded wow hmm i i really like that idea i think there is a whatever the case that final outer ring i'd be really curious to see what that looks like i think it's a point of no return yeah it's the event horizon if you're wondering, if you're confused now and as a listener and saying, wait a minute, I thought that the edge of the mind was where the consciousness exists. I can understand your confusion. This is where it gets a little bit more complicated because the thing is, is the, and this will be my last, <clears throat> like, last thing to complicate everything we've already talked about, is that everything that I described to you was like a shore or like two flat objects placed next to each other. Imagine that, but as two spheres that share all of their surfaces with each other. All of, like, the surface, you know, it's like a hypersphere, whatever you call that, uh, you know, a fourth dimensional sphere where... Spheres in the corners of spheres. Yeah, yeah, like every corner of this sphere touches every corner of this other sphere. I know that doesn't make sense. It, you cannot map it with uh, three, three spatial dimensions. I don't actually even know if you can map it with four because I just realized you can't have two circles that are perfectly adjacent to each other unless I guess they were sitting right on top of each other. But anyways, the yeah, it's basically like 
walking towards one, you'd see almost the sphere widen out until it became a flat line, and then you continue to walk towards it, and it would, everything else would sort of, like, close off until you could almost look at it like it was a sphere. Anyways, complicated, but I think, in short, if you were to somehow step outside of that sphere, I think you would find the Howling Void. Maybe. Okay. There's a lot of good stuff. Yeah, there's... We have the dreams of gods, because gods are minded. Oh, my God. Okay, and then this was my, this was my sort of last thought that I, wanted, I, I, I yeah. want to explore now. Um, we don't have to answer it, though. I am curious. We have the mythological tale of the creation of the world and sort of the different things in there, right? Like, when did the gods come about? When did the world come about? And then the primordium and then the materium in the same way, I mean, I think this comes back to Shem, Fakora, and what was the third one? Lululemon? <laughs> no. Fakora, Shem, and Grawl as, a, as sort of the representations of the natures of mind, soul, and body through different stages in creation. When did mind come about? Was mind something that existed in during the purely spiritual times of the realm oh, of the Ethereum? Sure. Or yeah. did it exist even before then? I mean, Own has a mind, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine they do. They do so they have, go. I mean, they have all things because all things come from them. There you go. Did mind exist before the Ethereum? Is mind even more primal than even the Ethereum is? Because, I mean, because so much of what the Nameless One's arguments were, were that there was a abominid, abominable thing about mixing spirit and flesh, right? Like, that was yeah. their whole pitch. That was their shebang. Because it was like the idea of don't mix natures. You know, they were, they were a, a bigot. Yeah, they were pissed off at Descartes with his, weird, his stupid explanation of, <laughs> well, there's the mind stuff, and there's the body stuff, and then you have this mind-body stuff that links them. It's like, yeah, but what, what is that linking stuff made of? He's like, I don't know. Yeah, especially when you consider that, I think conventional science really doesn't work with that very well. Yeah. Um, but, like, so then the question is, is, is there a realm even more primal than the Ethereum that exists as almost a high heaven even beyond I, the Ethereum, where subconscious comes from and consciousness comes from, that existed. Wait, wait, dude. Yes. Is that what the Animus is? What owns owns mind? We almost never talk about the Animus. It's because the Animus is crazy, man. Right, but like, what if the Animus was almost like? the shore of this mental land uh, uh the the angels and the gods themselves can only really perceive it as something to walk upon as though it was hard earth but maybe to another it is almost like a medium to travel through no different than a worm cannot picture the earth the same way that uh that's maybe a weird way of you know metaphoring it but like Holy shit, dude. The Animus might just be the shores of eminent of consciousness that exists at the core or at the... vacation home? Yeah, the most distant parts of reality, 
even beyond the gods. Because, okay, so for the listener, I know we don't talk about the animus much. Essentially, they are the bodies of the heavens, like the literal landscape that you walk across when you reside in the heavens. But they are also the creators of banners. And banners are the things that angels use to basically know when there is a will of own to cause something to come about. Yes. There's, there's an objective, right? Hey, we need, we need more guardians to do X, a house that exists to do X. And so they start to pull from the banner. The banner comes from the animus. We've never really explored what exactly that looks like. But I think the animus are like sitting on the shore of some unnamed yet greater realm that only exists in theory. I don't know if anybody has ever witnessed it. Even the gods only know it as something that is beyond them and not worth looking into. But I think the animus is just the edge, the frothing of this like greater realm. And it's like the thing that stirs my mind about this is what if you could go there? What would you encounter as though you could burrow into the ground of the Ethereum itself to travel deeper and deeper into the most immutable natures of all of existence? I mean, what, those what are, would you find? You'd find the platonic forms, obviously. You'd see, you know, the form of the good <sighs> shining like a sun, highlighting, you know, courage and... I mean, prob probably probably something like that. I'm not so eager to necessarily define it because the idea of it is dazzling to me. Well, the things that make it the the un it's the underpinnings of reality. It's the right. It's the things that give reality its realness. That's what's there. Right? Yeah, I th I think what's exciting about this to me is that it's something that's even beyond the gods, like something that that exists that as yes, only own has the ability to understand. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the stuff that's maybe the closest to own's true nature because I, I don't know if I said this during my explanation of what the animus are, but they're actually low level conscious. Like they move and think if continents could move and think. Yeah. It's the animus over the course the of millions of years kind of thing. What'd you say? The animus is own's house and no one can figure out the combination. So they yeah. just knock on his door and then like little, like, from the mail slot, like, notes come out, and they're like, oh, shit, okay. Right, yeah, it's like, I don't know if they have, I don't, they don't have a consciousness, I don't imagine, unless you can measure a consciousness over the course of millennia, but they might have, I, I think they have an intent, they have to, because otherwise, where do the banners come from? They have an intent, a seeking of something to come about, and when each one of them is reflective of one of the nine natures, one of the nine flow, I think that they represent each a different aspect of a way of, of being, a way of thinking. So yeah, I think if you could dig down to the core of that and then invert that instead of digging down, it's like, you know, rays traveling outwards from a point. The further you go out, the deeper into, like, into, into whatever this realm is known as. But I think, yeah, animus are just the frothing forth, the last edge of it where it meets conscious thought that was a little bonus for you listener. damn that's cool okay well yeah we should definitely wrap up though <laughs> man our episodes are getting long these days yeah we're just too we're too keen yeah i know i'm i well i'm enjoying it uh and we also hope that you've enjoyed this exploration into the lands of sadar and the realms way beyond uh, if you like us give us a five-star rating or if you like the podcast, I don't know how you feel about us, but if you like the podcast, give us a five star, give the podcast a five star rating. I'd like to think we're four star, five star up there. 
Or or better yet than that, uh, tell others about us. Tell people in the r slash world building community about us. Tell um, your dreamer friends, your friends who spend all day dreaming. Tell, uh, tell the Dalai Lama. He's a nice guy. Yeah, tell, tell the Dalai Lama. Let your rabbi know about this podcast. Yep. They might like this. We'll keep it kosher. Yep, keep it kosher. But each week, we offer a piece of the episode to share with you, the listener, meaning that your contributions can become Halloumian canon. It's time to decide, Frank, what's our offering this week? I was thinking, what is one of those rods in the linen? What are Ooh. the... Take an aspect that... Maybe um, it's even of a way that we understand the mind, psychically, and like, yeah, build it out into what would the land of abstraction look like? Or sentiment? Or working a math problem like what is what is or you know the part of our brain that activates when we work a math problem what does that look like in somnus did you have any ideas if not that that's good i like that yeah um so yeah you can send your responses to uh at the lore keepers on twitter or email us at lorekeeperspodcast at gmail.com with your idea for this week's offering our twitter is also a great place to find dank nugs news and musings on the world of halume their email is perfect for questions of all sizes you'd like us to address. Finally, thanks to Josh Silker for his composition of Land of Heroes, the Lord Keeper's Thing. And thanks to you for listening. Last note before we say goodbye. If you were wondering what happened to the state of the podcast, don't worry. We are still brewing it. We just haven't had really any time this last week to get into it. I think maybe we'll endeavor to get it out in the next week or two. Sounds about right. Yeah. Well, until next time, don't forget, there are always more dreams to dream. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.